Welcome to Season 3 of Trying Our Best, a mother-daughter good place podcast. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Mila. And you're listening to Season 3, Episode 9 of The Good Place. So why don't you tell us what's going on in this episode, Ayla? I gladly will. So where we left off, Janet was going to take them all, all of the humans into her void to escape all of the demons that had just entered their their bar where they hung out. And then <clears throat> she mentioned that this will definitely end their lives on Earth and may or may not end their lives in the afterlife. And, I mean, they didn't die. Things went almost well, except they all looked exactly like Janet. So I just want to take a moment to appreciate the acting qualities of the person who plays Janet. Darcy Carden is an amazing actor. And in this episode, she has to play Janet, neutral Janet, and then each of the other four humans as her. And so I think that it's just she just does a really good job. I think this is an amazing episode from an acting perspective. So if you remembered the episode from last week, Michael has a theory that the bad place might be tampering with the good place point system. So while the while the four humans slash Janets are in Janet's void, Janet, the real Janet, and Michael are going to the accountants area where they count the points of who goes to the good place and the bad place. Michael's hoping he'll get the evidence he needs to show that the bad place is cheating so that he can force the judge to make some changes. Meanwhile, in the void, Eleanor's having an identity crisis, and that's where we're going to start our exploration today. So, Eleanor tells Chidi about how they were, like, soulmates for, like, a thousand years. Um, and Chidi, he kind of, like, denies this. He says that that person wasn't him and he goes into a long philosophical discussion of the history of philosophers trying to figure out what makes somebody themselves right what makes you you um and he says that it's linked to your memories and if you don't have your memories then that wasn't you it was somebody else doing that where and jason chimes in and says hey i did all kinds of things i don't remember but i still got this tattoo on my butt and so he kind of brings up the point that even if you haven't remembered something it still happened, right? And other people might remember your actions and the consequences of it might still be real. So this is a debate that philosophers really do get into is what makes you you? And when do you cease being you and start being someone new? And there's all these like thought experiments about what would happen if your memories were divided in between two different brains or if you had your brain transplanted into another body, which is not something we've done by science yet. Um, But just kind of a conversation of what is you? Is it your body? Is it your mind? Is it your memories? Is it something else? Is it all of those things together? And what do you think, Ayla? What makes you who you are? Jeans. And by that, I mean the pants that you wear. I'm kidding. Jeans are like a cell inside your body. And um, they're like, there's DNA. Um, I think it stands for something. I forgot what it stands for. But... um, All of those things help make you, you. Yeah, that's a good point. So there's who we are like on the genetic level, right? The the thing that makes you biologically who you are. But I think that most of us also have a sense of who we are beyond that, right? That our experiences shape who we are, that our 
uh, friendships shape who we are. I kind of think about it like a place, right? Like even if a place changes over time, and it definitely does, right? Like erosion or something gets built there or something gets torn down or um, the weather shifts in that area. So it used to be cool and now it's hot. But that place is still the place, even though it has had different ways of being in the past and it will have even more different ways of being in the future and all of those different experiences and times there have kind of shaped it in that way but we still define it as the place that it is so that's how I kind of think of of myself is this culmination of all those different qualities that has been changing and is going to keep changing but what makes you you um isn't just about genetics it's about the actions that you make and um the things that you say and the things that you do, that's also part of what makes you, you. But if you see other people, you might not always know that that's the real them. So there, this makes me think about first impressions. If your first impression is like tripping, falling over, and spilling ketchup on someone, then people might think that you're clumsy. But that might not be the real you. It just could have been a coincidence. Or maybe that is part of the real you. Like you were clumsy in that moment, but that doesn't mean that that's your full identity. So I think that kind of recognizing those layers and the fact that we can change over time, that the you is a really complicated concept. And I think that it's powerful to know that we're not stuck being one thing our whole lives, that we're able to make changes. But it also gives us a lot of responsibility because if we can change for the better, that means we could also change for the worse. So we have to kind of always be working to be who we want to be. And back in the void, Eleanor keeps wanting puppies and it might blow up the universe. And she's kind of freaking out about who she is. Um... Cheetah's sort of stuck in this denial thing, and Jason's just acting weird. So as Eleanor is freaking out and going through, she's embodying all different bodies because she's losing her sense of self, and it's making the entire void deteriorate around her. And Chidi decides to tell her who he thinks she is. So, and remember, Chidi's still in Janet's body, and so is Eleanor at this point. Well, right now she's in all kinds of bodies, but... um. That neither of them are themselves in their physical bodies. And he starts remembering all of the great things about Eleanor and telling her, like, this is who you are. This is, this is, these are your strengths. This is what impresses me about you. And through doing that, he realizes that he really does love her. So he leans in and kisses her, and that's enough to bring her back to her sense of self. And then all of the humans return to their own bodies. But apparently, Janet's void did not like having four humans in it. So Janet spit them out of her void, and they and were in the accountant's office where Michael had just found out that no one has gotten into the good place for over five hundred years. Which technically is there's some um, plot holes here because they mentioned that Abraham Lincoln got into the good place in season one. So we're just gonna forgive them and gloss over this plot hole they've created. But the idea here is that nobody has earned enough points, including Doug Forsett, because Michael has um, the accountant pull up Doug's file, and we see that even though Doug has over 500,000 points, he's so near the end of his life that there's no way he's going to earn enough to get into the good place, because the amount of points you would need to get into the good place is just way, way higher than what anyone, even someone being as careful as Doug, could ever earn in their lifetime. 
And that brings us to our question of the day. A lot of this thing about the points is about how to make a good decision and how to know that you're doing the right thing. So we want to know, can you know that you're doing the right thing? That's our question of the day. So pause the podcast, think about it, talk about it, maybe even write about it, and then come back. So welcome back, everyone. This is really a tough question. I mean, I don't think you can really know for sure because, I mean, we don't know if there's a good place out there and we don't know what points we'll make and we don't know the future. But um, I think that you should just um, trust what you think is right and... um, Things will turn out okay? Not a lot of confidence in that last claim. I definitely think this is a hard question. And I think that the answer is we definitely cannot know all of the consequences of our actions. For one thing, we don't always know what was involved in creating these choices for us in the first place. And we certainly can't know what's going to happen in the future because of them. And so anything as simple as like what object we buy, we don't always know what conditions the people who created it were working in. And we don't know what the people who are profiting from it are doing with the money. And the efforts to try to figure all of that out can often make it take so long that we run out of time to make the decision anyway. And then that has consequences. So it really can be overwhelming to try to do the right thing all of the time. But I think that's why shows like The Good Place and thinking about philosophy is so important because we need to kind of make a framework for what decisions we're going to make and how we're going to make them. And it's a lot easier to make that framework when we're not in the heat of the moment, when we're not pushed up against a decision, so that we know that we've already kind of practiced by the time it comes to make an actual decision. Because you don't want to be like a cheaty because that did not work out for him. Yeah, good point. Just thinking about it is not enough. You also have to put it into action when the time comes. So what about the opposite of this question, Ayla? Are there times when you know you're making the wrong decision? Well, yes. Sometimes you know that you're not supposed to be eating the candy without permission. But you eat it anyway because you like candy. Yeah, and that example kind of goes with what we were just saying, that sometimes there are established rules and established frameworks that help us be able to make those decisions in the moment without having to think through every little piece of it. And I think that that's something that um, I've been thinking about a lot with, you know, we're in the middle of this, hopefully we're nearing the end of this pandemic, and there's all these rules and guidelines about what's safe to do and what's not safe to do and what the CDC recommends and what other people around you are doing. And I think part of what's so overwhelming about it is that it's so hard to know what the right thing to do is because we don't really have frameworks for this because we're in sort of a new situation for us. And so it's made me really realize how much I like having clear frameworks and guidelines Even if I make decisions that are different from other people, I like to know why I'm making the decisions I'm making so that I can feel confident that I'm doing the best I can do. So when I try to make rules for myself, I, well, I might make a list of them, 
Like sometimes I have to do my writing homework and I'm choosing a new book. But um, I'm usually supposed to write two sentences. But th since this is a new book, it has a lot more sentences. So I have to like write a specific amount. I usually choose about a page because the words are really big. Ah, so I think your example is talking about going with the spirit of the rule versus the letter of the rule. So even though the rule before was write two sentences, you realized that, oh, two of these short sentences really isn't getting to the goal. And so you adjusted the framework to give yourself a rule that better fits that circumstance. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. And I think that's the kind of lesson we have to take forward for our whole lives is that you know, you're going to make some rules, but then sometimes those rules aren't going to fit the actual situation. So you have to be ready to change them as needed, but you can't just change them to make it easier for yourself because that's not going to get you the result you want. So um, the, apparently humans aren't allowed in the accountant's room. They press the emergency button, and the humans are about to be in some big trouble. But Michael has a plan. Janet tells him that they keep running around trying to find other people to help them fix things and tell them what to do. But then Janet says that the only one that can truly fix things is Michael. So Michael says, you're right. I'm going to do things. And then he asks for a volunteer that's ready to do something really dangerous that may or may not kill you. Obviously, Jason's the best volunteer for that. So Michael sends him up the mail tube into the good place, but they can't know what happened. So they just all take a risk and follow him because they're about to be caught. And they end up at the end of this episode in the good place, or at least the good place mail room. And that's where we'll pick up next week. We hope you'll join us. 